We are in Champions League, man. That was my Dilly din, dilly dong, come on. I will love it if we beat them. Love it. This is the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast with Gary Kearney. Aguero! Hello, welcome to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. My name is Gary Kearney. Joining us for this episode is Greg Patterson. He is the Head of Coach Education and Development with the Scottish FA. He is on his way to the U.S. this week to take part in the United Soccer Coaches Convention in Baltimore. So I wanted to get this out at the beginning of the week and then give some coaches who are on their way to the convention an opportunity to hear from Greg and then hopefully make their way to one or two of the events that he's doing this week. So I think you're really going to enjoy this. We had a, a set of topics laid out that we were going to cover and we ended up going way off topic in a lot of them. Just the, the depth and the, the different perspectives I thought were fantastic here. So I think you're really, really going to enjoy it. We talk about ex-pros, players' perspective, football culture in a country, moving coaches outside their comfort zones, mental health, a little bit on that there, and then giving back to the coaching community. So we'd love to hear your thoughts. At Gary Kernin on Twitter, at Gary Kernin on Instagram. If you're on your way to the convention as well, I am presenting up there on Thursday at 4 p.m. on improving individuals in a team game. And then I'm also doing a presentation on Saturday at 1.30 p.m. And that will be on engaging players in the process of development and improving. So really excited with the topics, really excited to get up there and, and see some old faces and meet some new ones as well. So let me know if you're going to be there and look forward to seeing you in Baltimore. Here is Greg. Enjoy. Greg, thanks so much for joining me today on the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. Really excited to have you on. Pleasure, pleasure. It's good to be here, Gary. I was really jealous. The first thing I want to kick us off, really jealous <laughs> to see this midfield masterclass that you that you hosted quite recently, and it looked mm-hmm. absolutely fantastic. I've never seen a positional masterclass before, so you know, talk us through the work behind it, the ideas and, and the, the processes. Yeah, the ideas were really born out of, uh, I suppose it was Malcolm Mackay when he started his role as performance director, maybe, was that maybe three years ago now in the Scottish FA and part of his work and his colleagues work alongside Club Academy Scotland that they decided every year to do a masterclass. Um, so two years ago it would have been obviously the, the defending masterclass and, the, you know, it's guys like Fabrizio Picaretto and Sean Dyche, Dick Bate, our own Donald Park all presented in the def- uh, defending one. The following year, we then did an attacking one, and that was Henrik Larson, Kennedy Gleish, and Eric Black. So we had good people, and then things change and things realign in associations, and rather than throwing the baby out with the bathwater, it was a case of sitting down with Malkin and saying, no, we, we can still do this. You know, the, the budgets might have been cut and, you know, things like that, but we decided then we can use this, actually, performance and football development where coach education sits, can use this to work together and 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 keep these master classes going because, as you say, they they were so well received, and we can keep these master classes going now as, as CPD events. You know, rather than being that clo- what was originally a closed shop, if you like, for um, club academy staff only, which was a nice thing, which was a nice thing and, and a good thing, but it allowed us as well to open up the doors a little bit more and, and let more people in. Um, and you use the word they're jealous. That wasn't. Um, <laughs> 
It wasn't some of the language some people were using when they, you know, they, they, they're just desperate to get to it. You know, mm-hmm. if we had a bigger venue um, and facilities, I'm sure we could have, I'm sure we could have get more and more people in. So, so that's really how it, how it all came about. It's about really drilling into the detail, you know, really going, I suppose, in depth into not only what those people have experienced as, as players throughout their career, but their thought process at particular phases of play. So we would use a lot of video footage during the day and ask them if they could remember what was going through their mind, what was their thought process at that point in time. You know, for example, when Scott Brown picks the ball picks the ball up off a centre-half and looks forward and looks to play it to a striker or out wide, and why did he go out wide that time and why did he not go forward? And, you know, it's about that those thought processes and, and back to the training that he's probably experienced to then transfer that into the game situation. So Scott Darren and um Scott Darren Fletcher and, and Paul Scholes all, all did that for us for about for about an hour on the day with a with an excellent presentation presentation from Michael Beale at Rangers about his career and how he through the years developed his thinking about how to work with midfield players and what his philosophy with, with midfield players is. And then not only midfield players but the midfield unit. And then we kind of had a bite to eat after all that with uh, Scott Gemmell, sorry as well, Scott, our own Scott Gemmell, our under-21 manager, did, did a practical session and then a big Q&A session with, with them all at the evening. So it was, you know, you're right, it was a, it was a good day. Yeah, I, I saw the video of just the interviews. Malachy Mackay mm-hmm. said he wanted to bring in players like Fletcher, Scott Brown, Paul Scholes to inspire and fuel the coaches to go back to their clubs. And I, I thought that was, I thought it was really interesting because... There's always a, a perception of ex-pros with this coach education that, you know, it's, well, they shouldn't be getting accelerated. Instead of going down that road, how important do you think it is to draw on these experiences? Because they're different type of players as well. Scott Brown, schools, they're yeah, almost yeah. polar opposites. And and you mentioned there about that thought process. I mean, how important is that, that us as coaches go back to almost study players as well as studying the game? That's just what you've the way you've phrased that there, Gary, in itself is, is was probably the biggest learning for me from the day, probably me as a coach educator, because you mentioned there that they are all although they're three midfielders, the three top quality midfielders, they're very different midfielders, but not only that, the the three of them spoke at length during the day about how they broke in about their their first first team experience, if you like. So their first <laughs> Their first game for the, the senior team at their clubs wasn't where they expected to play. Paul Scholes talked about how he used to play up front. Scott Brown talked about how he used to play up front. Darren Fletcher talked about how he made his debut right midfield, which we, he, he didn't expect. So straight away then, as a as a coach educator and, and you know who's looking at devising curriculum, I'm thinking, wow, there's there's something massive there that you know we, we're maybe hell bent on devising curriculum to to try and assist coaches to develop better players. But there's three top-class professionals talking about breaking into first teams and establishing careers in positions that they never thought they would end up in. You know, and it's about that selflessness of, 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 of being, I suppose, I suppose of, of selflessness for the team and for their own, you know, for the, for the, I suppose, for the benefit, not only of the team, but, but their own career development. So that was a, that was a big one, as I say, for the day, um, or, or the learning for the day, for me, that, that kind of selfless attitudes out of position, you know, different, just different ways they, they didn't see perceive their career going. Um, and I think it is important, it is important that we always go back to players. I remember years ago, 
Um, when I was working in Ireland, I went over and spent some time with Jamie Robinson at the FA. Jamie's still with the FA. And we spoke about Jamie was just going through a process of putting together the, the FA Youth Award. And Jamie spoke about how he then thought about attributes, qualities, traits of England's last four um, 100 capped players. I think at the time it was maybe it was maybe Beckham, Lampard, maybe Cole and Gerrard or something like that that got the four, you know, that all received 100 caps and, you know, all within maybe a year or two of each other. So he thought about when he was putting this youth award together, then, then let's kind of drill into the detail of, of what these four players, the attributes they had, the qualities they had. So then what, how does that then inform this new youth award that he was trying to trying to develop? So that's that's kind of stuck with me as well. Um, so, so you're right. I think all these things come together and all they all merge together when you're trying to when you're trying to um, detail curriculums. But curriculums are all about what do you want to see in the future. I think I think that's what you're probably looking at. You know, you're you're putting together a curriculum, and your curriculum forms what a product of what you want to see in the future. Albeit, a, you know, whether that be the coach or the ultimate goal is is, is the player, as 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 Jamie alluded to. You know, when you look at those players again, the, the three of them. Sometimes we get carried away in coaching with, you know, the X's and O's and a six and an mm-hmm, eight and a mm-hmm. ten. And whenever you look at those three, you have obviously great players, strong personalities, but they came from different types of coaches. I mean, I'm just interested to hear: was there an insight into how much of a, of an impact that a manager like Sir Alex had, or a manager like Brendan Rodgers had on the players? Again, they're, they're learning. Whilst they all spoke very highly of detail um, the, and preparation that these, that, you know, Brendan Rogers and Alex Ferguson and those guys would go into, what they did, what they did speak about was, and again, it's, it was huge learning for I think everybody that was there in the day was just the ability just to play, mm-hmm. the ability just to play, and they all agreed that whilst they're maybe from a different era now, you know, it was this thing about. Paul Scholes just talking about, you know, I never, I never wanted to go to a gym. I just wanted to go out and play. I just wanted to go out and practice. And it was about those youth coaches. Um, they probably talked about the youth coaches more in that regard, allowing them the opportunity to play and probably setting up practices that we're all aware of nowadays, probably setting up practices of, you know, allowing them to play, but allowing them to learn in that circumstance and not stopping practices time and time again, stopping them and giving really to the point, matter of fact, detail, um, and then allowing them to play again. And it was all about that repetition of play and enjoying it. And it came back to that all the time. You know, it wasn't, you're right, it wasn't about boring them to tears with X's and O's and you must be here and you must be there and you must be the next place. It was having that trust relationship um, with 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 their coaches who, who, who let them play essentially yeah this is interesting because structure versus freedom and obviously <laughs> we like to think it's all about structure but players need trust and free but whenever you're organizing a, a coach education event or or to get a group of coaches together now this again this ex-pros thing where i did a course years and years ago chris coleman was on it in belfast mm-hmm. and we made it on two days greg of theory work and one day, just you're sitting around and Coleman starts just talking about managers. You learn more in 20 minutes than you just learned That's in two right. days. That's so, right. so as a as a coach educator, 
uh, we've had Mark on and, and he talked about the peer-to-peer learning, but how do you create an environment or give people enough space where those kind of informal chats can just take a new life almost? I think as a coach educator, it's important to know what, what the room, to get a sense of the room and who's in the room first and foremost, because I think only then can that peer-to-peer learning happen or, or can you maybe set up the room in a specific way or pair people up or group people in, in that specific way that's going to help that that peer-to-peer learning. For example, Scott Brown, to go back to him again, Scott's on our Scott's on our A license at the moment. Scott, by his own admission, and if he ever listens to this, I hope he doesn't mind me saying, but Scott barely turned on a computer. You know, so you know, and, and you'll find, you know, the a lot of the ex pros and I don't want to don't want to target them all at that, but professional players and ex pros maybe aren't as familiar with being able to do use the coaching software and put together a session plan. So you try and pair them up with maybe someone someone who's come from a different background, someone who's perhaps been a little bit more academic, but maybe works 30 hours a week in the game, um, you know, in, in, in different environments. Um, so we'll have that experience. And then they, they kind of bounce and learn off each other, which is just fascinating because some, you know, one person's amazed that they're sitting in the same group as Scott Brown, while Scott Brown's actually picking their brains about how to do this, how to do that, and how to do the next thing, and saying things like, I can't do what you do. I can't. I can't stand in front of a group. I can't portray myself as well as you do. So they will learn from each other from that. So to go back to it, it's it's about knowing the room, and that might come from them as well. That might come from them at the very start of the course. We're always keen to try and get as much as we possibly can about them, even through you know. And I'm talking about the higher end of the game here, or the higher end of the coaching pathway when we start talking about UEFA licences and it's getting as much information as we can and maybe people think we ask for quite a lot. We ask for application forms, we ask for CVs, we ask for copies of the certificates, but that gets a general feel about them as well and it helps us form that opinion um, so that, when we, as I say, when we do get to that day one, so that it is embedded right from day one, we can put that four together in that group and we hope, and we hope that will work well. And as a tutor group, you'll always meet in evenings as well, maybe over a beer, and you say, right, okay, how's how's that how's that group working? Oh, and you know, you can tweak things. Then you can move people about, um, and you can get them. You know, and sometimes that's good as well, not to pair them up with the same person. If it's a ten day course, for example, so you you weren't listening to Chris Coleman, I'm assuming for ten days. You know, Nigel's probably moved you about, and you've probably worked with someone else for for a day or so. So that's my kind of garbled, I suppose, my gar- my garbled response to that one. I think it's really really interesting because. Again, and we heard that with Mark with how detailed the application process was to get on the mm-hmm. pro license. Mm-hmm. And then, because I always wonder how you go about the process. Like you just mentioned there, some people are uh, maybe an ex professional, the computer is there outside the comfort zone. Maybe it's yeah. Yeah. in front of five people. And then for uh, for someone else, it might be looking Scott Brown in the eye and saying, This is the right. You know, like it, comfort zones are different to other people. Yeah. So, is there a process with the same thing where you say, right, do we target individuals to challenge them in different ways? It's amazing what you say there. You know, comfort zones are they are very different for different people. And it's it's getting to know that person a little bit better. I suppose we're back to reality-based learning. You're not just pushing them out comfort zones for the sake of it. I think it's got to be relevant to what they might experience. So I think Mark in his podcast episode spoke about you know, the pro licence, we visit the under-21 game, you know, and, you know, or sorry, the under-21 tournament there over in Italy. 
and he might be in Bologna one night watching a game. He's got to report back on that game the, f- the following morning, and he's then got to go to, I can't remember, some of the other cities we, we visited, but he's got to go to another city that, that following evening to watch another game, and then the process starts again. Now, <laughs> some some manage, some managers on the pro licence might say to us, that's, that's not real, but it's real for someone. It's real for the analyst. The analyst has to do that kind of work. You know, and the analyst might not get any sleep overnight. They might not see the analyst putting in that amount of work. They might themselves put in more work than than they maybe realised it took. And I remember doing it myself. I remember being in a group with some of the guys and, you know, you are, you're up to four o'clock, five o'clock in the morning and then you're, you're presenting at, at nine o'clock. And that's, and that's because you're trying to put together the best presentation um, within your working group. So that's that's dif- different comfort zones. Whereas, you know, I, I remember back to stories about Mourinho when he was in that environment with the Scottish FA. And, you know, apparently he's done and dusted on the bus on the way back to the hotel. So his comfort zone is completely different. He's obviously, or at that time, maybe uncomfortable elsewhere. But, you know, Mark and the guys that were talking and maybe, as I say, one or two of them come to me saying, Greg, this isn't realistic. But it is realistic and it's realistic for someone. And I think we've got to have that appreciation that someone in your staff, should you be fortunate enough to get that head coach job and then you're putting an analyst in place and your first team manager or your first team coach in place and you're putting an assistant in place and, and all the other support staff that you might require. I think you've got to have an appreciation and an understanding of the work that those people may have went through so that you can then manage them better mm-hmm. um, you know so I think as I say comfort zones are different for everybody so it's getting to know those people getting to know what their comfort zones might be and then as you go throughout the course working and again the, yes the course curriculum's there and you always try and refer back to the course curriculum but again it's about us I think as a tutor group meeting on frequent occasions throughout the course you know it's not just saying Oh, that's block two. So block two means that we're dealing with we're dealing with physical preparation and we're dealing with playing out from the back and we're dealing with psychology. How are we going to deal with that? How are we going to get our salient points across? Who's going to deliver it? How are we going to deliver it? What are we going to ask the the participant group to do, etc., etc., etc. So you can then start looking, well, okay, how do we push that a little bit more? Who needs pushed a little bit more? Who might be strong in this area? Um so it's about and that, that all goes back to how you started this question, I suppose, that application process and getting to know those people. Another area that coach education, I think, has come on leaps and bounds throughout the world is self-reflection. I always ask this to psychology experts that are on here, but the same to you because you're going through where you're trying to help coaches grow and develop. And you know, how, how can you challenge a coach or change a coach who maybe struggles in the self-awareness piece? Yeah, the first thing is you you know you use the word challenge there. How do you challenge them if they're struggling? If they're struggling, I think you need to I think you need to work with them and you know build that relationship and first and foremost rather than rather than challenging them. But you know I think it's it's funny. I was chatting to Andy Gould, my my gaffer in at the Scottish FA the other day, and it's a funny one. You you know we preach about as you say self reflection quite a lot, but you probably don't afford enough time for it ourselves in our own roles because we're so busy and it's important as and when you actually do it that self-reflection piece as you say it's so powerful it really is so powerful and I, and you know again I'm harking back to my own experience and, and stories that I've heard from people Walter Smith I'll never forget Walter Smith speaking on a pro license course talking about how he would take that time for self-reflection 
um, every evening after I went home. So he would, you know, if he was a Rangers manager at the time, he would go home and he would disappear upstairs, maybe just for half an hour. He would disappear upstairs for half an hour, lock the door into his office and do some self-reflection. Did I make the right choices today? Did I make the right team choice? Did I make the right substitutions at the right times? And that then helped him, you know, away from... And then he went downstairs again and he got his family time back. But, you know, that so that self-reflection for someone like him who was so successful in the game, um, you know, it just shows the power of it. And it just shows, you know, the effect that it can have. Um, but for us on courses, it's, it's probably just, I think, again, we're back to relationships. And, and that they're so... It can't get away with the importance of building relationships between tutors and, and the, you know, the course participants that might be down to, you know, the tutor ratios help, you know, you, you know, we try and work kind of one to 12 as a maximum on our licensed courses so that, you know, 12, 12 course participants are going to one tutor and that may help. So you're not dealing with, with bigger groups than that. Um, you know, but to, in terms of trying to challenge them, I'm, I'm not sure. Yes, you can challenge them if you know you can challenge them. Um, if you know where, if you know where I'm coming from with that, but sometimes it can be quite delicate. Um, we do a lot of it now. You know, used to, I think we've all been through the process of the body cams and and, and then not re- then kind of thinking the body cams don't necessarily work because body cam points one way, you might be watching the other way. So we've very much went with high cams now and and, and looking and getting them mic'd up, and then giving them time and space to go away and look at that themselves. Um, you know, and it's not just it's not just self analysis either. It's you know it's, it can be peer. We do a lot of peer analysis, um, and then you've obviously got the tutor. And sometimes the tutor doesn't need to say too much. He's just maybe facilitated stuff because by the time they've finished their self reflection, the peer reflection, then you know maybe everything's been covered, and it's maybe just that little nugget from the tutor then that, that needs to inch it forward again. Yeah, there's a there's a great uh, podcast. From it's a little bit comical. He sits, Simon Simon Ferry's podcast. Yeah, Simon Ferry's podcast. Yeah, open goal. Oh, fantastic! Yeah. And it was only re- like recently when I'm I listen part entertainment, part uh, education because yeah, when he's talking about these great Scottish managers and people that have played for you mentioned there Walter Smith, people that have played uh-huh, for uh-huh. Kenny Daglish, Sir Alex Ferguson, the level of man management, interpersonal skills that those people have. Just blows you away. That's right. That's, and, and so I think the man management thing that I've I've talked quite a bit already about relationships, Gary. And I think I think you know at the end of the day that's what it comes down to. You know I didn't re- reach the heady heights playing wise by any stretch of the imagination, but you know those coaches that you wanted to do more for. Mm. I think that counts at every level. You know you know if and you're not going to do more for that coach, that manager, whatever you want to call them, unless you've got a good relationship with them. You know, and I think that, you know, if we can use Klopp as an example, I'm watching Klopp the other night or, or Liverpool the other, the other night, and it's, it's you know, he's walking off arm in arm with Lallana at the end of the game. And, you know, the Liverpool tunnel, for example, is in the corner of the of the pitch, but he's, he's, he's greeted them in the halfway, on, you know, in the centre circle, and they've walked off arm in arm, chatting away. You know, and you, you don't see that that often. Um, and you just wonder, is that why those players are putting in so much because of that relationship that they have? Um, you know, with with the head coach, and you know, as you as you have alluded to, that man management, knowing who needs, knowing who needs to cuddle, and maybe knowing who needs the kick up the backside as well. I remember, remember without mentioning coaches' names, so I was I was a young player at Celtic, and I remember being at Celtic, and you know, I got a blast at half time, 
Um, I think we were getting beat at Everton D United. And I uh, got a bit of a blast at half-time, scored two goals in the second half, and then it was a case of, Greg, remind me to give you a blast every half-time. <laughs> now, if that coach had maybe spent a bit more time with me, it wasn't it wasn't the blast that made me score a couple of goals in that second half. I don't think anyway, in hindsight. And in fact, if I'd got a blast every, you know, I might have been the one to cower away in the corner, more than likely. Um, so it's it's about, ah, I'm, I'm back round again, I'm, it's, it's relationships and it's man management, you're right, you're right. <laughs> Social skills. So, again, on Simon Ferry, I think it was David Moyes was saying that that was they would go out of their way to put that on their schedule every year to get there because you know it was a big social event and you were with the other managers. But you're talking there about Klopp and yeah, the self awareness piece, the charisma piece, but then social skills. So if we're going to talk about a coach who's uncomfortable, uh, I mean, what about the introvert or the person that struggles with communication struggles to deal with a group of, if you struggle to deal with someone one-on-one, you might struggle then with 20 of those personalities out there. Like, I suppose, how do you reach that person? Is that just through the relationship? Or? And, a, and a coach education perspective, sometimes yeah. it can surprise you. Sometimes it can really, really surprise you. And I don't want to mention names just in case people are listening, but last year we had a, you know, we were doing, I think, were we in at the A licence and we either went to, we went, well, we did go to the Scotland game and we also watched the Champions League final on telly and we asked them to do match analysis tasks and how they would then present to their players, present, you know, kind of doing that kind of mock, or if you like, you know, present half-time what you would say to your players. And, and we decided as a tutor group to, to set up or to ask a couple of people out of what is a big kind of A licence cohort that we get and we thought, let's ask, he's not said much or she's not said much all week. Let's get them out and put them in front of what was, I think, last year, 70 people. And we thought, mm, are we risking this too much? And wow, those two people that we picked out in particular. Now, we didn't make it, make it too obvious, but it's, again, it's that kind of level of detail that we try and go to as a tutor group. But those two people came to life and surprised us because they wouldn't say boo to a goose. You know, in a, even a smaller group of 12, but we asked them to get up and present, and wow, did they come to life. So there was something hidden there. So I think I think people can surprise you. And it's mm. about sometimes it's about giving them that opportunity, um, you know, to thrive. Um, whereas other people, you might think, geez, he's larger than life. He'll be able to present in front of 70 people, no problem. And no, no, he's actually unable, or his presentation skills aren't the best because he faces the screen for the duration of the presentation, or talks to a laptop rather than talking to the group and looking in the whites of people's eyes. So again I think it's I think it's opportunity um, and I think it's exposure and you know and just and again working with people, giving them exposure and opportunity to those different methods. Um, but you know see at the end of the day, Gary, it's like you know, there's those studies out just now, isn't there, that you know, coach education, and rightly so, coach education courses themselves, what we do on coach education courses is maybe only 10 to 15, I think 20% is a maximum of people's overall learning. What we can maybe do is give them the tools, but they must then go and do it experientially. They must then go and do it at their clubs. And it's the first thing tutors and assessors will say to me when people come back, you know, if we're doing courses in, in, in blocks, you know, maybe a block of three days and then we don't see them again for three or four weeks and or sorry, three or four months and they're out again. And the, the, the tutor, the assessor will be over to me saying, Craig, they've not, they've not done anything. They've not practised. You know, it's evident. 
but you can tell, wow, never expected that from him because he struggled in the last block. But do you know what? The learning he's got from our course and then he's went away and obviously put it into practice. He's now flying and I never, again, I never expected that from him. But he's taken things on board and he's practiced back at the club and that's 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 where the real learning happens. Yeah, that's fascinating. You mentioned earlier there about the ex-professional who hasn't been in front of a computer so obviously they've missed out on a fair amount of academic experience in their in their childhood mm-hmm. or growing mm-hmm. up because of football understandably but then as well you've also got this i think it's a new age uh habit of a coach to to sit on social media far be it for yeah. me to lecture anyone on twitter but to to sit in front and just skim through oh, headlines <laughs> yeah i mean I, when you know you mentioned there about going to the tournaments and mark and doing the thing and been up till four in the morning and then going again and yes that is soccer life but then how do you then balance that you need them to to learn in depth you need to get that depth right how do you push challenge or promote that yeah and again it's that again it's that level of detail um and i think i think as you go up a coach education pathway or even a player pathway and you're dealing with a more professional play. I, I I don't think much changes in terms of, you know, organization and management. It's it's that level of detail that changes. You know, whether you're setting an an eleven aside team up for your under thirteen girls team or you're setting up Liverpool to play in a Champions League final, it, you might have the same principles. You might have absolutely the same principles, but the level of detail you can give those players is completely different. So those people if they have aspirations to to be that Champions League manager, which which hopefully most people will have, you know, then they've got to start looking at that level of detail, and it's that level of detail that will often let people down when it comes to when it comes to not only practical assessments, but we do we we grade um, we grade assignments as they go, and again, it's we might throw a couple of assignments back to people because there's there's not that there's not enough detail, there's not enough reflective thinking critical thinking that goes into those assignments or even into that into that practical assessment that they might then have to do. So I, th- I think that's the way we probably challenge it and it's always about reiterating the fact that you need detail. And I used that phrase earlier on when we when we spoke about the, the midfield masterclass and that's what the midfield masterclass was about. You know, it was it was about drilling drilling a mile deep into the thought processes of Scott Brown, Darren Fletcher and Paul Scholes. You know, it wasn't about, you know, let's skim a mile wide and maybe only go an inch deep. It was about, you know, let's just go let's just go that full mile deep and an inch wide so that we get that level of detail that's required for that level of what we're trying to do. We talked just before we recorded on um you know, you're coming to Baltimore and the work with yeah. Ian and the United Star coaches. Scottish coach education obviously has a great reputation at the minute not not just at the minute overall with jose and all those people that have come through it <laughs> very progressive ideas approach i want to get your thoughts on this scottish football has struggled to implement changes you know you see it on some of the media with the the referring to laptop coaches etc when when young coaches are going out into work and coming through your coach education how would you advise or how do you advise them to be resilient in their innovation and creativity when they're bringing new ideas to the club where they might be in a, in a culture that is maybe resistant to it? I 
think I think that's 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 you know that's a tough one. And I think unless you know you're you're referring to that kind of laptop coach that that's been that phrase that's been used recently. I think that's tough unless you've been in that environment. You talked about even you and I on Twitter there, and you know sometimes sometimes I can get a few kind of rough comments, and it's it's tough. Uh, you know it's it's tough to take. I think those people that are trying to find another route into the professional game or another route into the elite level of the game, because let's be honest, you can work at the elite level of you know, youth players. Um, and if they're trying to find their way into that and they don't expect to have to call on a resilience at any point in time, then then they probably will struggle at times. It's a, It can be a harsh environment, football. It can be quite cutthroat. So people need to develop that resilience. But again, that's what we try and do in our courses there is, is probably lean on the experience of the ex-professionals or professionals or those that are currently, you know, those that are currently playing and, and might, you know, might lean on that. And, you know, I, I can think of maybe, I can think of maybe like a Chris Boyd, for example, who was on the pro licence and things might be in the press about Chris. And you wonder how Chris is then going to adapt on the next pro licence gathering, but Chris will bounce in there as if nothing's been written about him or nothing's been said, you know, and there's some, there's some harsh things, as you can maybe recall, without without going into detail, you know, and, and, and it was as if it never happened, but that was his resilience, um, whereas others, you know, may struggle with that if, if they're not used to being in that environment. And it, it, it can be tough, it can be tough, but it's, it's again, it's, it's, again it's, a, it's a process. It's a process, and I think in football, you know, a lot of people will be able to ride it out. You know, it maybe is only, it literally maybe is only a day or two, because something else will happen. You know, something else will happen in the football environment, the football world, that people move on to pretty quickly. I mean, back to social media, like, we, we love talking about, as a coaching community, we love talking about the, the need or demand for players' resilience, but it, it could be more for a coach. The demand could be more for us to be resilient and to be committed to the processes that we really want to carry out. That's right, and I think I think as well we we're actually developing a mental health course, you know, and I think I think we can start. I think we really need to start looking at that as well because the resilience I've talked about criticism and the resilience just doesn't come from external criticism. The the resilience can come from those long hours that we spoke about and having to develop. A resilience because of those long hours, because of frustrations, because of differences of, of opinion in, in your playing staff and your coaching staff. You know, they, they can come from all different ways as well as as well as external. You know, if you start talking about dealing with boards, dealing with fans, dealing with media, you know, you've, you've maybe you know if you're aspiring to be a head coach or a manager, then you've got all those different people, all those different groups to manage. You know, your playing staff, your coaching staff. The boardroom, the fans, the media, and that's that's a hell of an undertaking. And I don't think some people maybe don't know. And Malky talks about this quite a bit. He talks about one of his pals who got a chance to be the manager, and then after a couple of days, just realised what on earth am I doing here? I was quite. I didn't realise how happy I was and how maybe easy I had it as an assistant manager. Now that, that exposure as a head coach has become tenfold to all those different groups that I've just mentioned, and the noise. You get, you do, you do need to have a fair bit of resilience. I would imagine, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I was twenty six, so I was a coach for about like three or four years at the college level uh-huh. at a smaller uh-huh. school, and I, I remember it well. I've not selected a certain player in the starting lineup, and I've walked across the pitch at half time the change rooms, and there was three. 
think of their friends were in the crowd. There weren't many people at the game. Mm-hmm. Three people close to, and they were just like, "Coach, what are you doing? You haven't got a clue." <laughs> I nearly fell over. Do you think that you're mentally tough, or that's you can right. handle criticism? But that's the first time anyone ever yelled it at me, and mm-hmm. uh, and mm-hmm. I, I went like it rocked me. I I don't even remember what I said at half time, but. I remember going back and thinking I was driving home. Imagine getting that from 50,000 people. That's right. That's right. And that's what we were talking about earlier as well, wasn't it? About comfort zones. That That's, you know, your resilience level or your comfort zone is different to everyone else's. So Chris Boyd, that boy shouting, you know, shouting at Chris Boyd, wouldn't have, he probably wouldn't have even heard that. Mm. Whereas it shouts at you and you think, wow, how do I, how do I deal with this? How do I cope with this? Gee whiz, I've now, got, I've now got half-time team talk to deliver. I need to put that to the back of my mind. Don't really want to put it at the back of my mind why they said that about me. I've been really invested in this team. I'm trying to do everything I can for this team. Why is he criticising me? He's not seen them, you know. He's not seen them during coaching sessions every day that I have. So you're right. It's it can it can it can rock people. And I think that I'm back to that kind of mental health bit and that our sports science centre and and at Hamden is is developing that for is that online one which will be which will be free of charge and we'll be able to roll that out this year. So I think things like that as well might help. The coaching workforce, you know, just maybe have or, or realise some of the coping strategies that are out there. It's it's a huge part actually now. It's a huge part. I'm surprised. We started a we a doctor comes in, um, Doctor Carey or, or Doctor Doctor McLean, who, who's our who's our national team doctor more often than not. You know, either one of them will now come in and speak about mental health in the game on on our license courses. And I'm always surprised about how many people stay at the end of that lecture or that talk to speak to the doctor themselves. Mm. And it might not be about them directly, but it might be about a friend. It might be about a family member, but you know, you know what it's like, Gary, you, you go on a course and you'll, you, you'll always go up and thank, thank the lecturer or the guest speaker at the end of the, at the end of the talk. But as I say, I'm always surprised how many people actually not just go to thank them, but stay. I need to chat to you. I think it's growing as well, Greg, because you've got, yeah. there's so many now where that are coming out, you know, people that are getting B license, A license, pro license that, that then I suppose just naturally are led to believe that the doors will open. But you mentioned about how it's such a tough industry. It's also a borderline impossible industry to break into at times that I had your conference as well, right? Absolutely. And I think people thought maybe in the past that the pro license, pro license is the most coveted probably award, doesn't it? Because it's the highest level, but, you know, if you think if you think what's happened now over the past, I don't, I couldn't even tell you how long the pro license has been going. Let's say the pro license has been going for 15, 20 years. 20 years ago, it was probably invite only, you know, and, and it was those type of people that were probably already in jobs and had to have the pro license for club licensing criteria. So if you looked at Scotland, it was probably your, your David Moises and your Walter Smiths and your Alex Ferguson's and, and all those guys that were did that first cohort of the, of, of the UEFA pro license. Fast forward then 20 years and you've, you've kind of dealt with the managers and the head coaches. You've then dealt with the assistant managers. You've dealt with the first team coaches. You're then starting to look at reserve team managers. Not only that, you're now looking at reserve team managers, heads of youth, heads of academy, who may well become the first team coaches, the reserve team coaches and the head coaches in, you know, in, in time to come. So, as you say, it's 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 Getting, you know, to any qualification now doesn't guarantee you. It's just the way, you know, education's went over the year. Any education now doesn't guarantee you a job as it maybe had done in the past. 
um, because of more and more educational opportunities for people. It's even the same in, in academia. I see people coming out of university now with master's degrees, you know, and, and can't get can't get the jobs that they're maybe getting master's degrees in. You know, I you know back back when I worked back in Ireland again, we we had men assistants that with master's degrees. You know, when I was starting my career as a development officer. 20 years ago that would have been that would have been unheard of but things have moved on and things have changed so I think you're right B licences now as well are more and more commonplace as are A licences as are pro licences uh, and other things I've always admired about the Scottish co- I know a fair amount of Scottish coaches obviously but I've always admired the the community was really strong ability to stay in touch reconnect one of the best things I've read over the last 12 months was the Fabrizio Picaretta's book, yeah, uh, yeah, fantastic. And I want to get your thoughts on that. How important is it that people who come through the courses remain connected and then keep contributing to the growth, rather than simply accepting these licenses and then waving goodbye to everyone? David Moyes is fantastic. He always he always jumps into my mind because every time David Moyes comes back to talk on our pro license, he probably always opens with. This is so important for me because I came through this pathway and I want to come back and give something back. And he speaks to the twenty odd people in front of him on the pro license and says, I'd, "I'd like to think the same of you guys. You know, once you do, or if you do get the opportunity to go out and work in that environment, then come back and help and and put something back and give your experience back um, to, to those people." But you know, I I look at it as well about. You know, I, my my if my title is head of coach education and development, it's that and development. But you're right; I think is so important. The coach education is fine. We can always set up courses and we can always deliver and implement courses. But it's that and development part. What do these coaches do once they graduate from our from our licenses? Not even from our licenses, from our level ones, from our level twos. It's that and development part about how we keep in touch with them. You know, if, if the game's changing, if there's modern trends, then we need to do our best, I think, as an association to, to get back in touch, to reconnect, is the word you use there now over in the States, to reconnect with those people, to try and give them the best possible education that we can. Um, and that's something we'll do next week in Baltimore at the, at the convention. You know, we'll come back over and we'll try and meet and connect with as many as many Scottish coaches as we can, and such as such as the way now, it's not they are they're Scottish coaches. <laughs> they might not have a Scottish accent, you know. They've accessed <laughs> our Scottish courses from from Portugal, let's say for example, but they're, they're at the convention or they're American, and they've come over to Scotland to do our courses. So we must we must go and, and reconnect with them and see how we can help. CPD is the big one, isn't it? And CPD is the obvious one. You know, you've got to attain. 15 hours of accredited CPD every three years to keep their licence active. So us going out to Baltimore last week will, or next week, sorry, will we'll help them do that. That development piece then, we get uh-huh. quite a few listeners here or directors of clubs who, you know, we talk about building a culture that everyone likes to build a culture of self-development, a growth. One common complaint or common issue we hear over here is that, you know, there are some coaches who are just stuck and feel that, uh, you know, any form of education or trying to get be part of this community is is uh, is an inconvenience, basically. You know, how does how does a director who's working in a small club try and uh, I suppose inspire or shift coaches in there who are you know a little bit resistant? 
It's funny. It's a, it's one it's one we actually spoke about today. I was at a, we were at a Sports Scotland kind of coaching network myself and Andy Gould today. You know from the Scottish FA, and we we get paired up with with swimming. So so the learning you get again from from other sports from other industry is good. And we spoke as you just touched on there about you know what's a big problem. We spoke about the kind of the kind of skill drain, if you like, of coaches, because coaches might only stay in grassroots clubs or even at professional clubs for for two, maybe three years tops, and then they're away. So we're, you know, we constantly, we consistently even hit ten thousand participants per year through our coach education program, which is huge. Mm. But why are we hitting so many? You know, you're not better. Is that no better dropping and saying right, we only get eight thousand this year, but. 4,000 of them, for example, continued up the pathway, but we're consistently getting 10,000 participants because people aren't staying at clubs and within environments for that long a period of time. Now, we all know the problems about if you're working in the senior game, you might only get that. What's, I don't even know what the average is. You know, the average is some like 18 months now, if it even is that, you know, of, of, of how long somebody might be able to keep their, keep their job before they get the sack. So, but if we can if we can look then at the turn that on its head and look at, look at the grassroots game, how long does a volunteer actually last in the grassroots game, and why are all these people still churning, if you like, through coach education programs? Now, whilst we welcome that and we, we, and we love the fact that so many people attend their courses, then I think you're right. I think we do need to start looking at the culture that these clubs and coaching directors, coaching coordinators are creating. What are they doing to retain that staff member? I know from, you know, working in the grassroots game with Moan Children and, 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 and other clubs, you know, the majority of people or parents might only be get, come in because they're exactly that. Or the team's struggling a little bit, so therefore I'll try and help my son's team, my daughter's team. And then they disappear after two and three years because they get fed. Do they get, do they get fed up with it? I'm not sure, but they don't tend to stick with it. So you're right, it's about how do we reward those people? How do we retain them? Essentially what you've referred to again, how do we build that culture to allow them to thrive? Um, and I look at some of our clubs here. I'm, I'm, I'm actually chatting to you from, from Edinburgh just now at Orium, which is where Hearts are based. And I think Hearts are doing some fantastic work in their youth programme just now about investing in their coaches. And I don't see a big churn or turnover of staff um, and they're at Hearts just now. They've, 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 the youth coaches are, work, are working in Hearts just now. have been working there for a long period of time. And I'm sure if I chapped Roger Arnott's door, the, 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 the head of uh, the youth academy there at Hearts, and said, you know, I've got such and such, and he's a good guy, and can he come and work at your club? He would probably say, Greg, with no space. Mm. With no space, because he's able to retain a staff through a culture that he's built by, I think, investing in his staff giving them further education opportunities. Um, but that doesn't just come from Roger. The, the chairman uh, the, or the chairperson, Anne Budge, is, is very strong on that as well. Um, and maybe that comes from her different business background that she's come from. So I think I, I maybe think that's it. And it's one, as I say, it's funny you ask that question because it is one I spoke about in a different environment. And funnily enough, swimming. Swimming had the same problem. Swimming, you know, swimming clubs, not swimming teachers, but swimming clubs tended to have the same problem as well. Yeah, I'll help out because it's my son or daughter, but then, you know, I'll disappear and we've got to retrain all the time. We've got to retrain. You've got to indoctrinate people then as well into the into that club culture, that club ethos. But by that time, they're already thinking about leaving. All right, last one for you. How does the busiest man in the world stay on 
top of best practices and this innovation that's there's a new thing out every week in football and every federation is promoting <laughs> something unique i mean how, how do you how do you keep track of everything and how do you set aside then time for your own self-development well how do i set still yourself i've touched on that already i probably don't I'm a great believer that it happens as it happens as part of the job, but as part of the job for us to try and stay at the cutting edge, if if we are even that, is to is to be at events like I was at today that I've just explained. You know that that sports Scotland event and sitting listening to problems that judo may have and swimming may have and even the question may have. As daft as that may seem, when people might listen to that and go, "For God's sake, it's football," mm-hmm. but yeah, th- these other sports might have similar problems and they've dealt with those similar problems and they've come out the other side with. With a with a better way of working that, that's made them a bit smarter, a bit better. Um, but it, it's something that fascinates me. I must admit that whole question because what is cutting edge for coach education? What is best practice for coach education? I'm always now talking about us being world class, but what is world class for coach education? Who is the best coach education provider in the world? We don't know. I don't think I don't think MD has that answer. People will have an opinion, but where's that opinion based upon? You know, people might say, "Ah, oh, it must be the All Blacks. The All Blacks must have the best coach education program because they've been at the pinnacle of that sport for however many years." But is it? Is it just because that's the number one sport in New Zealand? I, I don't know. I think it's. I think <laughs> I think that's maybe the next step for me personally is is further study into that. You know what? You know if we all know or do we all know again? People have different opinions. If Apple are producing the best computers and the best digital watches, then people will give an opinion as to why they're the best computers and the best digital watches. But I'm getting back to that coach. Who's the best coach education provider? So I think you're always benchmarking. I think you're always looking over the fence to see what other people are doing. I think you're reading a lot. Um, I think you're maybe, as I say, setting time aside. Um, I think you've got good staff around you as well who are who are also keen to always learn. I think you will always learn, no matter what level of the game you're at, no la- no matter what your experience is. I just spoke about Davey Moyes, look at the experience he's in the game, and he talks about you know learning and how much that means to him to come back into that pro license environment. Um, you know, so I think I just think there's a big question mark as to you know what is the best, what are we trying to attain, and how are we going to try and attain it. Brilliant, brilliant. Okay, next week Baltimore. Where can where can people find you? Oh, good question. We've got a few touch points um, throughout the week, so we can uh, start our activity on the Wednesday. If MD's arriving a day early, we're doing a, a CPD event. Um, myself, Malky, Mackay, Andy Gould that I've mentioned throughout this kind of podcast as well, and Brian McLaughlin. Um, Brian's our under-17 international manager and also the, the head of the, the performance schools that we have here in Scotland, so he's joining us this year as well. So we'll put on a few kind of workshops on the Wednesday um, and that will that'll give people five hours CPD if, if they do need it at all. Um, we're then Thursday morning, we'll then meet up with our guys that are currently on our UEFA license courses um, and may not have been able to travel back to Scotland for the tutorial. So we'll meet up with them, see how they're getting on. They'll go then away and, and we'll kind of earmark some speakers for them to go and watch and they'll present back to us then on Saturday about their, about their learnings whilst we're, in, whilst we're in Baltimore. And then we're part of the, as part of the convention itself, I think we've got a few talks throughout the week. I think we're on Thursday, Thursday lunchtime 
Friday morning, Friday lunchtime, and then and then Saturday morning to finish off. So we're doing all those bits and bobs, and 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 amongst that, we're also we're with the University of Baltimore on Thursday night as well, and and different things, and we'll be around the place, and you know what it's like. These things, it's it just amazes me, amazed me for the first time last year that. You're in amongst those ten or eleven thousand people, and it's just everybody's talking about football, and everybody's grabbing a coffee together with the, where they possibly can. So the four of us will be, will certainly be there, and we'll certainly be available if, if MD wants to, MD wants to grab us. Brilliant, brilliant, and in, in bed every night by nine o'clock. Absolutely, that's only the puzzle <laughs> jet lag. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Well, Greg, I'm so glad we got this. Uh, we got this done before the convention. And uh, uh, thank you so much for your time. That no, was, this is great. great. Loved it. Loved it. Thank you, and we'll uh, we'll chat soon. Super. Thank you. Thanks so much to Greg for his time and his insight. There, I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Yeah, love that. Love that conversation. Uh, obviously. You can tell how open-minded he is, how humble he is. Uh, it's clear to see why Scottish coach education has been so successful. And like I said during the interview, how they can reconnect. You need a, a certain type of personality and a certain type of person who wants to do that there with people uh, on social media and in person. So you can see there that, that Greg's excellent at that. I also think it's difficult, and, and we kind of spoke after about you know the change in the mindset of coach educators have traditionally become standoffish whenever I was doing my coach education uh, you didn't really want to bug them you didn't want to get on the wrong side of them they were there to evaluate and to present the information but now it's interesting how coach educators uh, you know now they have to build that relationship they're about helping people and if you can draw coaches towards you it obviously helps them with improvement and development and you know it makes sense it makes sense so I can I can see why Greg is, has been so successful and obviously getting people like Mark on who have taken the course speak so highly of him. Another aspect that, that stood out for me was, again, I'm fascinated by the management side of coach education, how you get those innovations and how you kind of decide quality control almost, what, what's going to go into your association and your coaches and what's not. And I think in coach education, especially over here in the US, I think over the last 10, 15 years, it's no secret to the fact that we've jumped on the Dutch way or the Spanish way or the Brazilian way or the German way or whatever's in vogue at the time we've jumped upon. But you can tell there from Greg, you know, he's he's learning from swimming. He's learning within the retention of coaches with coaches' contribution to the grassroots game. When he talks about those there aspects of the game over there, it, it tells me that, you know, there's there's looking within to improve and there's looking from outside to improve and I think you've got to get that balance right from an association or federation or coach education whatever it is I think you have to look within because if you then just grab other ideas from other countries you don't appreciate or understand how those ideas work in that culture and it, it it's interesting that that Greg and the staff there are really aware of that balance and obviously that helps with consistency and buy-in and quality control, bringing those coaches in. And, and it's no secret that the Scottish FA do an unbelievable job, not just in bringing coaches over, but their social media and, and connecting coaches to one another, I think is great. And I think, you know, I'm going up to an Irish coaches event in Baltimore on Thursday. And, and I think it's something that Enda and the coaches there are trying to do, looking at the Scottish coaches and thinking, you know, this could be really, really good if we start to build this and start to grow it and start to help our community and start to give back. It can be beneficial for coaches on both sides. And that's what, 
Greg was also saying, then it's the coaches that don't realise that it's maybe a hard industry to break into and maybe they need a, a connection or maybe they need a mentor or maybe they need a network of some kind outside their immediate one. And there's just so many levels to it. So afterwards, like I said at the start of it, we just went way off topic and Greg followed up with me after the interview and was saying that we probably need to do another one. So it's the first podcast that I've ever needed to do another one immediately because probably didn't hit the objectives in the initial one. But I loved it, absolutely loved it. Could talk all day about those aspects. And I love speaking to people who are as passionate about people getting better and, and people getting better at different levels. And Greg's definitely all about that. So if you're about in Baltimore, please check him out for sure and, and, and try to get to his events and try to get to his talks. So... Let me know what you think, of course, at Gary Kernin on Twitter, at Gary Kernin on Instagram. Before you leave, before you shoot off, if you wouldn't mind giving it a little five-star rating, just to keep help promoting the podcast, helping with sponsorship, all that great stuff. Thank you so much for listening. I will speak to you soon. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. For more coaching topics, sessions, and resources, Head on over to Coach Kernine on Facebook or visit the website at www.modernsoccercoach.com.